This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from One Trust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security again HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Hey guys, Michael here. We are almost done with this. I swear we just need to hit our goal and we thank everyone who has supported us so far. If you haven't yet, check out our book, Plan Twice, Build Once. We feature some of the amazing entrepreneurs we talked to this year. I'm talking Heaton Shaw, Brad Flora, Gabriel Weinberg, Leslie Bradshaw, Ali Gardner, and so, so many more. We've taken all of the, the best insights and those, those tidbits that you listen for. We put them together in a beautiful bound hardcover book. Um, this is something you flip through, you get inspiration, you keep it on your coffee table. Um, we are so proud of what we've put together here and we're so excited to get it into your hand. So go to rocketship.fm forward slash 2015. That's rocketship.fm forward slash 2015 and order the book today. It's just $50. You help us support 
this program and help us to bring you this program next year. We are so close and we thank you. All right. So enough of this. Um, let's get on to the show. We've got a fantastic one today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Steiniger. Today we had Samuel Hullick back on the podcast. You might remember him from one of our earlier episodes. And he's been working really hard for the past couple months on useronboard.com. Guys, what do you think of what he's accomplished in the last few months? I think it's super impressive. He he tells us a bit about what he originally set out to do, and part of that was building up an audience and becoming, um, you know, the the real voice on user onboarding. And I think that he's progressing nicely along that. Um, what stood out to you, Michael? I like the his forward thinking. Um, he's got a three year plan. He's in this um, for the long haul, which I think is is nice thinking today. Um, where most of the time we're trying to figure out how to get out as soon as possible. He's trying to figure out how do I get in in three years. Um, And so I was really impressed with um, how committed he is to this. And, you know, I'm excited to see what happens to him in the future. I know we'll probably have him on another two or three times yeah, because he's going to keep coming back. So um, I'm excited for him. He's one of the people I genuinely root for. Um, So let's get into it. Before we get started, I'd like to thank CodeShip. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. For those of you just getting started, CodeShip has a generous free plan with five private projects included and 100 builds per month. Not enough? You get 20% off three months just for being a Rocketship listener. Plus, the team over at CodeShip spent the past few months talking to customers and just launched a complete redesign of their app with better usability. Go to CodeShip.com Rocketship to sign up today. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. We'd also like to thank Envision app. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. You were on, you were writing the book. So you've launched that a couple months ago. Catch us up on on how that launch went. Well, the launch, I took I took my lumps. I made a couple of rookie mistakes with the launch, but fortunately um, it, it happened. So the book is out there and the, uh, the long-term sales outlook has been very strong. And nice. did you see a spike in the beginning that's since leveled out or are you able to drive you know, a frequent stream of purchases through there. Well, um, I guess one of the, a very narrow silver lining on, on messing up your launch is that, uh, I w- I had extra moment, uh, motivation to really make the, the term the, uh, the flat line as high as I could. So, um, fortunately, of course on the launch day, you know, there was a, a huge spike in sales and then things kind of mellowed out um, at a certain range, and over time, I've been able to increase the the uh, the amount of sales that are in that mellow flat line. So that's been pretty cool to see. And just tracking optimizations to the sales page and things like that um, has been pretty cool. 
So what other side effects have you seen from the book launch besides just revenue from selling it? Has it resulted in other uh, consulting arrangements or product ideas or things like that? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say just, you know, being um, overall perceived as, as an authority. Um, so it's definitely been helpful as far as just, you know, cementing my reputation and, and increasing the likelihood that someone would perceive me as an authority on the topic. Um, and it's also been able to open up opportunities for me to, I, I guess, for lack of a ter- better term, be generous in certain ways. So being able to use it as a gift to someone or, um, you know, offering people discount codes or things like that. It's it's a very nice asset to have just as, you know, being a part of a thing and, um, you know, letting letting that be something that I can continue selling and, and continuing to uh, give to people and provide and things like that. Yeah, it's, it seems like the perfect piece that fits in between the the free onboarding sessions that you're doing, the paid sessions, the speaking. It just seems like it fits perfectly into what you're building, which is really making yourself into the user onboarding guy. That was my that was my ambition at the onset for sure. So has that uh, played out the way you'd expect time wise? Uh, yeah, my goal basically was you know I kind of had three phases that I thought would map out to three years. Um, year one would be get the book out and just be you know go for the authority uh, on that particular topic or be recognized as the authority on that topic. Um, year two would be just do a ton of consulting work. And then year three would be uh, create software that could replace me as a consultant. So uh, I am right now, we're almost at the end of the first year. The book, well, the site was launched mid-November 2013. So we're almost at a one-year anniversary for that. Um, and then the book was launched at the end of March. So I, depending on what you count as the, the birthday, um, we're, we're getting close to to that coming along. Very methodical. <laughs> I, I like the approach that you took because we started off, we didn't really have a, a distinct plan or anything specific that we were shooting for. So we, I feel like we always come in short of what we would like. Uh, but then sometimes you look back and realize what you've accomplished in a year, year and a half, two years. And it's nice, but we're by not having a destination, I feel like a lot of times we just feel a bit underwhelmed. Mm, well, I, I feel that way about myself all the time too. So even even if you do have a plan, I think it's easy to, to start feeling that way. Yeah. But I think the reality is that all this stuff takes time and a year was probably the right estimation for that first goal that you had. And that's not bad in the grand scheme of things for the work that you put in and the way that it's setting you up to, to launch software consulting in the future. I feel like it was the perfect decision to take the time up front and uh, you know put in FaceTime, for lack of a better word, and build up this audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been obviously uh, it's been really cool to just see how many people have gotten a lot out of it, and um, you know, getting emails where people say, "I just spent you know six hours on a Saturday going through all your teardowns, and I have this gigantic list of changes I'm going to be making in my product because of it." has been, you know, super, super cool. So especially, you know, uh, making it easier to get consulting work just by people writing in and saying, I'd like what you're doing. Can you do that for us? Um, or, you know, working on software where I have a you know pretty easy access to a pretty robust set of beta users and things like that. It's going audience first has made a lot of sense in that regard. You mentioned that there were some hard lessons you learned when you launched the book. What are some things that you didn't anticipate that in retrospect you would do differently now? Sure. Uh, so, the, I mean, the, the most painful one for sure was spending all of my time 
writing the book uh, leading up to the launch. Um, I, I did a lot of things like, you know, sending out advanced copies to people. And I was pretty strategic as far as all that went. Um, but the, the biggest area of oversight by far was not spending a lot of time on the sales page for the book itself, especially because I was doing like tiered pricing. People didn't really understand like what kind of packages they were getting. I didn't really um, I didn't really know how to describe it in ways that would really resonate with people. There was just a lot that I did really wrong there. And weirdly talking about onboarding and, and like, you know, increasing the, the likelihood that people will switch to your product and pay for your product um, was a lot of it was very hypocritical on my part as well. So that being a hypocrite cost me thousands of dollars, I'm sure. So since then, what are some of the things that you've done to, to bump up the flat line, so to speak? Sure. So just continuing to craft that message, um, you know, uh, picked up a, a trick from Joanna Weeb at Copy Hackers of just basically using your audience's words to communicate to them. So a lot of that, um, running surveys and just trying to get an idea of where the pain points for onboarding are, and then just describing, you know, the book in those terms has has largely accounted for the success. And also just being really uh, explicit about what people are getting. Like the, you know, I was describing the different tiers uh, or packages in kind of vague terms and just, you know, really just laying it out there made a lot of sense, a, a lot more sense to people. What's an example of how you changed your messaging um, because you were listening to your audience? I'm trying to think of a, of a single one um, that would be a great example. I, um, okay, so I can tell you a message that was wrong, which was uh, I had this sort of like intermediate package called the time saver package uh, that included the audiobook. And I thought people like I could say, hey, you know, you're, you're busy working. You can listen to the book while working instead of reading it. Um, think about what your hourly rate is and, you know, you can double it cause you'll be doubly pro 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 uh, productive or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like a very shaky sales message. Um, and okay. people just didn't, I don't think they really cared that much about the audiobook. And as soon as their, you know, inner calculator came out and, and started thinking about like, well, what is my hourly rate or like what, how much is my time worth? I don't know. I, it was just very much not aligned with what their actual, frustration that you were experiencing with onboarding was. Um, so that was, that was an example of one that I realized wasn't working. And then I just trimmed it out. I just got rid of that entire package. Um, and just was basically, you can get the complete package or you can just get the book. Those were the two things people were really most interested in. Did people ever equate reading the book with, um, literally making more money for themselves? Uh, before buying it or after either way. Um, before buying it, that was definitely part of the the pitch that I was making. So I hope that's the case. Um, and I definitely know afterward people like um, Nick Francis from Help Scout, who I think was on this podcast at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so yeah. So he's you know he 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 provided a very strong testimonial um, and said you know that this the book was super influential on their onboarding and you know they've they've equated that out to hundreds of thousands of dollars in increased revenue. So um, a, a lot of case studies like that. Nice, nice. That's great. So you've been getting into the speaking gigs lately. What are some of the topics that you're really covering and messages you're driving home about onboarding and the benefits at these conferences that you're going to? Sure. So the two things that the two major topics that I typically cover are design patterns that I'm seeing. A lot of times people really want to know what are the pros and cons of using a wizard 
to introduce your product instead of a tooltip tour or an intro video or whatever those might be. So just going through, you know, this is these are the different patterns that you follow. This is these are times that it's better to use this one versus that one, things like that. Um, but the other topic that I really cover, which is a lot more near and dear to my heart, is how do you even set up a framework for evaluating your product and communicating the essence of it before you even start talking about which kind of pattern should I follow in delivering that message? So, um, you know, onboarding asks you a really tough question, which is how do you distill your your, your core product down to something that you can reliably and, and uh, speedily introduce people to and and a lot of times people get stuck on even coming up with with what the core of their product even is um so giving people a framework for evaluating their product uh the job to be done that's kind of underlying it um has been really really great as well so what's maybe one of the most common mistakes you see people making in onboarding does it come down to just lack of communication or or language communicating things wrong or is it ignoring things that seem obvious to someone who created a product, but not necessarily their users? Uh, I would say would people think of onboarding in terms of like that it's something that you have or don't have. Um, And I think that a lot of times people equate progress or good onboarding with having lots of introduction um, or having like a really slick layer of onboarding on top of their interface. Um, And I think that that's not the right way to go down that road. Um, I would say that typically if you're looking at um, onboarding as a thing of dragging people through your product or educating people about your interface, um, those are are things that don't necessarily bring a lot of value to people. I would focus a lot more on how can we get people to actually accomplish something in a reasonable time frame, um, you know, as quickly or not as quickly as possible, as reliably as possible. Um, and focusing a lot more on what are people accomplishing in your product as opposed to how many, uh, you know, features have they understood, if that makes sense. So like getting to that wow moment as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people talk about, I I just ran a survey asking people what their biggest pain point in onboarding was. And an alarming amount of people said that people are signing up for a product that they don't know what it does and, or, you know, things like that. And, you know, a lot of times people think of onboarding as, if we can get people in and clicking around, it'll lead to that aha moment or things like that, where, you know, I think that that's really just a communication issue. And you really want people to be signing up for your product, knowing exactly what they're going to be getting. Um, and then onboarding is just helping them get it as opposed to, well, shoot, get it is kind of vague. And that uh, um, you don't want onboarding to help people understand your product. You want help uh, onboarding to help people do something in your product. If that if that distinction makes yeah. sense. So are yeah, you moving totally. farther up the chain? Uh, how do you mean? Like when people ask you that, that's really like a landing page issue. That's a communication issue. That's a marketing issue. Um, are you getting into more and more of those issues, or is that just kind of a pain point that people are telling you about? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that if people are signing up for something and they either don't know what it is or or even worse, think it does something that your product doesn't do, um, onboarding can't really save that. And so looking at onboarding as a challenge of how do we get people from zero to 60 implies that, you know, they, they need to know what they're doing and, and be making meaningful actions. So it's kind of a, you know, I can't really help people if if, if the problem is happening early, early in that experience and, and going sideways from there. So um, I see it kind of as being, you know, a holistic thing. I don't see it necessarily as 
explicitly being marketing. But I, I guess uh, to your point, that's it's certainly if the if the issue is at communication, then then the rest is really not something that you want to optimize. Right. Right. What are some examples of the best onboarding you've seen lately? Like who's really nailing it? Um, the, the, the top three that always come to mind for me, as far as just the teardowns that I've done, um, or the, well, the, the products of the teardowns that I've done are Basecamp and Slack and Shopify. Um, and then all, all three of those are for different reasons. Um, and I'm happy to get into those if you want. Yeah, please. So Basecamp does a really, really good job of using, uh, the default interface to explain itself and, and get people doing things, um, a lot of times I think people think of onboarding as like a layer on top of your interface or a series of welcome screens, uh, things like that. And especially on mobile, you'll see there'll be like these, you know, people put a ton of time into these intro cards and people just go swipe, 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 because they just want to actually get to doing the thing that they, that the product lets them do. And if you dismiss all of the intro material and then get to like your, you know, the first screen where you'd be doing something and you don't really know what you're supposed to do on that screen because it was all in all the intro material that you skipped. then that's a really huge issue. I'm a really big fan of saying, all right, let's assume that whatever we layer on top of this is, is going to be skipped and let's make sure that the default states are really making sense to people. And then if we add more stuff on that's optional, then that's great. And it can even be more helpful, but it can't fall down on its own if, if people are dismissing that. So Basecamp, I think, does a really good job of that. And I definitely touch on that in the teardown for it. Um, Slack does a great job of being really personable and human. They have like their Slack bot introduce itself and say, you know, I understand I'm kind of dumb, but I understand things like yup and nope and things like that. Um, it feels very, I guess, folksy, for lack of a better term, but People really, really love it because I think it engages them emotionally and they feel like they're, you know, uh, interacting with a person and not just uh, uh, fighting against a machine. So um, that seems to work really, really well for them. And then Shopify is an is a, a onboarding process that just looks like they've spent a lot of time attending to all of the nooks and crannies, all the detail work. And just if somebody might be concerned about a particular thing, that concern is addressed right in the right time and the right place. Um, all of the, I guess what you might call UX finish work seems to be really good there. So when you're consulting with people, um, where do you start when you start to analyze the user onboarding? Are there some basic metrics that you're looking for? Yeah. So one of the things that I really recommend doing is looking at the difference between all signups and the signups that become successful and whatever, you know, if you charge for your product, the people who wind up paying for it. Uh, convert from trial to paid or whatever that might be. Um, if you don't charge for your products, it's a little trickier, but there are a lot of times um, companies will have like in, in, uh, engagement proxies where if you, okay, if you put out, you know, if you follow 30 people on Twitter, you're, there's a good chance that you're just going to keep coming back and it'll be a habitual use as opposed to you just kind of flaking off or whatever. So um, whatever that, that point of like things are going well, um, calling it like say user success point, uh, separating people who reach that versus who just sign up uh, in general and looking at what were the actual steps that they took to get to that successful state and how can you reliably get people to go through the more people to go through those particular steps. Um, so just reverse engineering, a, kind of like a, a recipe for, for what turns someone into a customer or a successful user um, is something that I really recommend. And that can literally just be going through 
you know, server logs and just seeing, okay, at, you know, they signed up and then f- five minutes later they did X and then two days later they did Y, things like that. It sounds like um, lead scoring. Is that is it the same concept? Um, I, maybe. Um, my interpretation okay. of lead scoring is that you're looking at like the metadata around the person. So, you know, they work at a company that has this many employees and they live in this neighborhood that's for, you know, affluent people or whatever. Um, it, this would be a lot more around what are the things that they have actually done inside the application and how can we encourage more people to do that? So what's the bare minimum setup of something like Kissmetrics or Mixpanel that you think that every product should have just to understand the actions that people are taking? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'll have a really good answer for that one. Um, I think it's really depends on, you know, one product to another. Typically, I guess you could look at mapping it to things like Dave McClure's pirate metrics, um, you know, like the uh, AARRR. Um, so just what are the key events that are driving people to to switch from one level of your conversion funnel to another? Um, but personally, I really like to take every opportunity to define things in uh, terms of the user's perspective and not the company's perspective. So no user would ever say like, yeah, I'm in the activation stage of my relationship with Netflix right now um, <laughs> or things like that. And so I really look at what does progress look like in, in, your, in your user's life and how can you define the quote unquote conversion funnel around what progress looks like for them as opposed to what progress looks like for you. Yeah. And it's cool, like kind of bringing it back to the, the topic of the book, um, or like I was mentioning very vaguely earlier, like opportunities to be generous and things like that. Like that was definitely one of them. Um, and also looking at, once again, the underlying job to be done or getting people from from screw up to winner. Um, you know, the book is like, I guess you could kind of think of that as like the stage one of that. Uh, signing up for the software would be something, you know, even further down the line or having me, you know, come in and consult or do a workshop or whatever that might be. So I kind of look at it as like, you know, the very first thing you might experience are the teardowns and get some value from that. Then you could level up to the book and then you could level up to uh, software or level up to consulting, things like that. But it's kind of that that's my own sort of uh, steps to transition people from frustration to success in the vector that I help people with. Yeah, it all really looks like one long onboarding process for the software. Yeah, yeah, you could say that for sure. Yeah, because anyone that's using onboarding software who knows more about onboarding from your training is going to probably be more successful with the product. Yeah, and, you know, a, a lot of times I'll hear... A big source of frustration is, you know, people are getting really are, are recognizing that onboarding is a big problem, which maybe they weren't recognizing before going through the teardowns or reading the book. And then they're having trouble just getting the their organization to adopt it or, or take on that kind of mindset or even just allocate the resources they need to make substantial changes. So that's a really big thing for me from from a software standpoint is like, OK, if I can basically provide something that's pretty plug and plug and play then so long as people recognize the need, they should be able to, you know, get an engineer to work on something to set it up for, you know, a couple hours as opposed to trying to get a whole team to work on something for a couple months. Yeah, makes sense. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, can you let everyone know in case they missed it in the last episode where they can keep up with you online? Absolutely. It's uh, useronboard.com. It's like user onboarding, but that one was taken already. So useronboard.com and then at useronboard on Twitter. Cool. Thanks, Sammy. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today. Oh.